And Father, we thank you that you are about the business of changing people's lives. Thank you for the honor that you've given us, Lord, to play a small part in your kingdom plan. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you are growing your church. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of this family. And I pray now, Lord, that you would guide us as only you can deeper into an understanding of your love for us and your word to us. I acknowledge before you I have nothing to offer in and of myself, but you have everything and you live in me and you live in us. So mobilize us, Lord, as an army of your people that are filled with love for you and love for each other in such a way that the world sees us and you are glorified. We thank you so much for your faithfulness. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Grace. I ask your indulgence a little bit this morning if you see me scratching up here. I mean, scratching like here. Um, I am going to an allergist this Wednesday to be allergy tested, and I have been on antihistamines for oh, about 10 years, and I've stopped them now for the last three days. So I'm itching a lot while I sleep, and I didn't sleep well last night, but the Lord is here, and His Spirit is here, and I'm praising God that He's about to work through me. So, I'm re- yeah, yeah, you can applaud that, yeah. A little, little encouragement. Thank you. So um, if you're here, you've been here the last few weeks, you know we're in this series on how to handle material wealth and money and the joy of giving. Really, that's the central theme of what we're talking about. It's called the treasure principle. If you want to dig deeper, I would encourage you to pick up Randy Alcorn's book by the same name, The Treasure Principle. Phenomenal book. So We've talked in the last couple of weeks, and we've really communicated that our spiritual lives are deeply connected to the way that we handle God's money. And you say, God's money? What about my money? No, it's all God's money. It's all God's wealth. Every single thing, he owns it all. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But there's this fundamental connection between how we live in relationship to money and material wealth and our spiritual lives, our discipleship. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11. And I would encourage you to spend time in this whole chapter, this whole book, well, the whole book of the Bible. Spend time in the Bible. How's that? This is verse 6 through 11. But godliness with contentment is great gain. How many of you want to be content? Just you want to have the sense of well-being that you have enough in Jesus, that he is enough for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. I lack for nothing. When the Lord is our shepherd and we allow him to be all that he is in our lives, we are content. And he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we had food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Listen, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I hear miss people quote this all the time. They say money is the root of all evil. No, money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Realize the way of the world will always lead you in a pathway of grief and suffering. You will be miserable if you subscribe to the way of this world. It will offer you life and never 
deliver. But you, people of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. That's what God is trying to communicate to us through these series, these three words, flee, fight, and faith. Can you say them after me? Flee, fight, and faith. You see, God is asking us to flee the ways of this world, especially with regard to material wealth, and to fight the good fight and to have greater faith. Listen to me. You will not experience greater freedom without having greater faith. You see, Jesus Christ is all that he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and always. If you want to have greater freedom in him, you must exercise greater faith in him. And God is calling us together to exercise greater faith when it comes to our money. And can I tell you something? This is not discipleship for sissies. This is hard stuff. I don't know if you've been wrestling with it, but I can tell you I have. I can tell you, though, by the grace of God, I always get to be a little bit ahead of where we are. And I find myself becoming giddy with joy over giving. Now, I know that sounds kind of crazy if you subscribe to the ways of the world, but if you subscribe to the ways of Jesus, it's not so crazy. This week, I had the, in, 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 the uh, ability to do some work on the side that gained me like $100 cash, and it was two $50 bills, and I couldn't believe it. I, I ran into Tracy, and I said, $150 for you to give away and $150 for me to give away. And then what we're doing is we're waiting. If you need that 50, come up and see me afterwards. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. I'll give it to you. You know why? Because I love Jesus. And it's not from me anyway. It's from him. You know, I just said, hey, give it away. She said, oh, yeah. She went into this, this bookstore. She saw this young lady, and she said, I thought she might be the one to get the 50. You see what I'm saying? Like, there's this sense of anticipation in us both that God's like saying, and so what happened when more cash came in? And so now we're actually trusting God to provide more and more so we can give more and more. Getting, that's boring. More boxes from Amazon, who needs it? <laughs> Amen, somebody's clapping. Is that you, Trace? <laughs> Not you, okay. <laughs> who needs it? Now this, this discipleship we're in is hard. Why? Because consumerism and materialism surround us and press in on us from every side. And God wants to change our hearts and set us free. I made the point last week that we are some of the wealthiest people in the world, right here, top 1%. I made this, the case last week that we are some of the most wasteful people in the world. It all goes to a landfill, folks. And the question is, what are we going to do how are we going to respond? Last week, we said this truth, and we said it the first week, that there's this deep connection between our discipleship and our money, God's money. And here's God owns everything. We're just his managers. Remember, we talked about this in the parable of the talents. The scripture says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. This is a radically freeing thought. Why? Because if everything belongs to God, then ultimately it's God's responsibility for everything. Whenever our kids have had problems, how many people have had kids? How many people's kids have ever had problems? Yeah, keep your hand up, right? So whenever our kids had problems, what I learned to do was put them up on the altar, I had a wise man say that once when I was talking to a buddy on the phone and he was counseling me and I was struggling with one of our children. He said, Jeff, how do you put your children up on the altar? And I said, I don't think I do. 
He said, that's the problem. Right? In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves and everything you have up on the altar to God as a sacrifice to him. So I started putting my children up on the altar. And when one of my children would have a problem, I'd say, God, what are you going to do about your son? He's not my son anymore. God, what are you going to do about your daughter? He's your daughter before he's my daughter. She's your daughter before she's my daughter. A little slow on the uptake. I'm itching here, so bear with me. <laughs> so, so, so it's not my car anymore. It's God's car. The car breaks down. God, what are you going to do about your car? God, what are you going to do about your house? God, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? And I listen to him, and then I follow him. But the truth is it's radically freeing to know that it does not belong to me. Because if it belongs to me, then ultimately it's my responsibility. No, it's God's responsibility. Everything belongs to him. We are just his money managers. We are stewards. And God calls us to trust him to be good stewards. So we looked at the first key, the second key. Our hearts always go where we put God's money. Can you say that after me? Our hearts always go where we put God's money. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus goes on to talk about the eyes of the body. If the eyes are good, then the whole body will be filled with light. What is he talking about? He's saying this, wherever you focus your eyes, there your feelings will go, your affections will go, your adoration will go. So if you're focusing your things on the eyes of this world, say a really nice sports car, there's nothing wrong with having that car. The problem is having that car often means it has you. And your affection is for that car, or your affection is for that house, and your adoration is for those things of this world. And God says, no, 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 you shall have no other gods before me. I want all your love. I want all your adoration. Because when you love and adore me, I will set you free from the ways of this world. I will break the chains that bind you. See, God calls us to focus our eyes on him and eternity. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Lord Jesus, your word tells us that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, scorning it to shame. And yet what we must confess, Lord God, and we struggle to endure simple things like slow internet speeds and missing a Starbucks run and the inconvenience of too much traffic. Lord, truth be told, many of us know very little of your sufferings. Lord Jesus Christ, please forgive us. Teach us today, Lord, what it means to obey you, especially in this area of finances and giving. Help us to know that in light of your mercy and grace and for the joy set before us in heaven one day, that we can surrender ourselves to your will, that you would be glorified right here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, guard our hearts and minds, because I know the things I'm going to talk about today are touchy for some people. Lord, guard our minds. Help us to hear solely from you, for the evil one will want to steal away your truth. But you are the victorious one, for you live in us, and you who live in us is greater than he who is in the world. We love you, we praise you, and we rely on you solely. In Jesus' name. Amen. So suppose uh, you had a job that called you to Paris, France. How many people would like to go to Paris? Anybody? Most people are like, no, not really. Okay, let's pick somewhere nicer. I don't know. All right, that wasn't a very good example. Um, Hawaii, there we go. Jerusalem, maybe. I don't know, dude, not right now. 
Okay, well, pick a nice place. Anyway, work called you to go there for a month on assignment. You knew we were going to be there one month, and you were going to get an apartment. And the apartment was sparsely furnished. You knew you were going to get paid well, so you go and you jump on the plane, and you go to this apartment, and you move in. How wise would it be for you to spend all your money buying expensive furnishings for that apartment? Yeah, how wise would it be for you to go out and buy a brand new bed for that apartment? How wise would it be for you to go out and buy a brand new dresser or go out and buy a pointed? How about paintings for the walls? How wise would it be for you to do that? It would be incredibly unwise. Why? Because it's temporary. Do you understand this life is but a vapor? And you are not home yet. You are not home. You're just passing through this place. Key three is heaven and the new earth, not this present one, is our home. Paul says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. Do you know that you are called aliens, ambassadors, strangers, and exiles in Scripture? Some of you say, yes, people around me are stranger than I am. <laughs> but you are called these things. What do these words all mean? They mean that you are not home yet. You are here on assignment, and you are just passing through. And like, like it would be unwise for you to spend all this money to furnish an apartment somewhere away from your home for a month, it also would be incredibly unwise for you to invest all of God's money right here on earth because this place is passing away. And you, you pilgrim, son and daughter of the Most High God, you are just passing through. Listen to these words. From Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God, and they, they will be my children. That's what it's going to be like. He's going to take away every pain you've ever had. How many of you are tired of your pain? He's going to take it all away. You are going to be made completely new, and you are going to live in heaven with him, and then one day he's going to make the earth new, and we're going to live together on a new earth. It's going to be the way it was supposed to be. And you, you're going to be the way you're supposed to be. And you're going to dwell with God in perfect, uninterrupted intimacy. And you're going to dwell with others who are created in his likeness in perfect, uninterrupted intimacy. Praise the Lord. 
That is our destination. This is not our home. Now look, I want to make it very clear. You don't get to heaven by anything you do, more or less anything else you don't do. It's not about what you do at all. It's about what Jesus did for you on the cross. Jesus Christ died and shed his blood to wash you of all your sins and to make you spotless as his bride before God the Father. So you now have access to the throne of mercy and grace because of what Jesus did for you, not because of anything that you've done. And that, my friends, is good news. If you receive that news, if you receive that news under your heart, it will change the way that you live your life. See, folks, if we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves that no one can boast, then we are to live our lives differently in light of where we're going. Remember, you were born looking for the perfect person in the perfect place. And that perfect person is Jesus. And if you've met him, praise the Lord. He is everything you need. But you are not in that perfect place yet. And you are not perfectly in the presence of God yet. But you will be one day in heaven. And the writers of the scripture talk solely clearly about the kingdom of heaven. What is heaven like? Well, we just learned some from Revelation, but I would encourage you to dig through the scriptures and read more and more and more about heaven because the more you get excited about heaven, the more it will change your life here. But you know, I really believe there are people that walk this planet today that have been to heaven. I really believe that. There's a little book that I, I want you to consider looking at. It's called Imagine Heaven. It's by John Bark. He's a very solid Christian. And he takes the cases of hundreds, over a thousand what they call near-death experiences, which are really death experiences, people that have died and come back to life again. And he puts them in the context of the Scripture. And he says, look, we're not to take these things at face value. If you hear this and you're skeptical, you ought to be. You ought to be. Okay, because you have to test the spirits. But what he's saying is this. You can read in the scripture that nature displays the glory of God, and you get it in one way. Then you can go stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Then you get it a whole different way. These folks that love Jesus, that have met Jesus, I honestly believe many have. And you know what? The scripture actually speaks of one who has. You know who he is? It's Paul. He went into heaven. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 4. I must go on boasting. He's making a case about pride here. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I knew a man in Christ, he's talking about himself in the third person, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. That's heaven, by the way, for the Jew. They thought heaven was here, here, and here. And he's talking about heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He was confused about what shape he was in. And, and I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. You see, he actually went into heaven. Now, there are other people who have, and I've read their stories, and I've tested them in the spirits, and I just want to share a few for you. And again, if you're interested in this, I would encourage you to pick this up. Test the spirits. Go to scripture. Dr. Mary Neal. She's a woman who loved the Lord, an orthopedic spine surgeon, no one who has anything to gain from making up a story. She was on a white water kayak trap in Chile. When her kayak inverted and plunged under a waterfall, it capsized and it got wedged between two boulders under 10 feet of rapid water. 
Now, her husband and the, the group she was with, her friends, they couldn't see her or find her anywhere. She remained trapped there for 12 minutes and went without oxygen for a total of 24 minutes. Let me tell you something. If you go without oxygen for 24 minutes, you're dying. You're dead. In spite of the fact that the pressure of the water and the rocks were breaking her bones and tearing her li- lig- ligaments, she said she did not panic. At that point, she said, I completely surrendered the outcome to God's will. And the moment that I asked God that will be done, I was immediately and very physically held by Jesus Christ and reassured that everything would be fine. She goes on to say, at no point did I ever feel fear. I never felt air hunger. She wasn't gasping. I never felt panic. I felt great. I felt more alive than I had ever felt before. The very moment I turned to him, I was overcome with an absolute feeling of calm, peace, and the very physically sensation of being held in someone's arms. I knew with absolute certainty that I was being held and comforted by Jesus, which initially was surprising, she said, because I'm just an ordinary person. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ loves ordinary people. As Jesus held her, he took Mary through a review of her life. Now, this is a common experience of people who die and go to heaven by the way which is in line with Scripture. Each one must give an account. And this is the way they describe it. They describe it as if they're seeing all moments of their lives at one time. It's not like a movie where things go by in an order. It's like you see your entire life all at once. And you're able to see that while Jesus is with you. Listen to what she says when she died. It felt as if I had finally shaken off my heavy outer layer, freeing my soul. Mary felt her soul break through the surface of the water and rise above the river where a welcoming committee was there to joyously greet her. By the way, the scripture says that friends will welcome you into heavenly realms. Do you know who Don Piper is? Don Piper is a man who died for 30 minutes and he wrote a book called 30 Minutes in Heaven. He was a pastor who died in a car wreck And he was dead. The EMTs pronounced him dead, but they're waiting for the coroner. Guess what happens? A pastor comes along, and he gets a prompting to pray for the dead guy. And he says to the EMTs, can I pray for that guy? They said, well, you're not going to do anything. The guy's dead. He said, I have to go and pray. So he crawled into the wreck, and he laid hands on Don Piper, and he's praying for him, and he gets a prompting to sing a hymn. And guess what Don starts to do? Sing the hymn with him. And he goes out to the EMTs. He said, that guy's alive. And they say, no, he's not. He's dead. And he goes, well, the dead guy's singing hymns. <laughs> and Don Piper comes back. He has this horrible healing experience of going through these horrendous kind of things these doctors do to his body. But he doesn't tell people for quite some time what he experienced. He experienced heaven and Jesus Christ and an incredible welcoming committee of people. Some that he knew here on earth and every single one that he said he knew forever. Listen to what she says. I was immediately greeted by a group of people, spirits, beings. They were wearing robes of a sort, but they were absolutely filled with a pure, pure love. I absolutely knew that they were there to welcome me. They seemed to have physical bodies. They had heads, arms, and legs. I knew without any doubt that I had known them and loved them as long as I had existed. I knew that they had knew me and loved me as long as I had existed. It was joy at an unadulterated core level. 
My arrival was joyously celebrated, and a feeling of absolute love was palpable as these spiritual beings and I hugged, danced, and greeted one another. I don't know about you, but that sounds like an incredible party to me. The intensity, depth, and purity of these feelings and sensations were far greater than I could ever describe with words and far greater than anything I have ever experienced here on earth. She said she has a loving family. She loves her husband. She loves her kids. She said this was that on steroids to the millionth degree. God's world is exponentially more colorful and intense than the one we live in. She goes on to say, my companions and I began to glide along a path and I knew I was going home my eternal home. As I was drinking in the beauty and rejoicing with my companions, I glimpsed back at the scene on the riverbank. My body, which was now being recovered after being underwater for 14 minutes, had been recovered and was lying lifeless on the beach. It looked like the shell of an old comfortable friend, and I felt warm compassion and gratitude for its use. I looked at Tom and his sons, close friends who were kayaking with Mary and her husband, and they seemed so terribly sad and vulnerable. I heard them call to me and beg me to take a breath. I loved them, and I did not want to see them sad, so I asked my heavenly companions to wait while I returned to my body, lay down, and I took a breath. She said she goes through this back and forth thing where she finally hears that she has to come back and live out more days here. And she entered into a long and physical emotional recovery. And she tells the story of meeting Jesus Christ and being taken up into heavenly realms. And I, for one, believe her. Heaven is going to be far more than you can ever ask or imagine. And my friends, if you think it's up there sitting and listening to worship courts, strumming a harp or something, you are sadly mistaken. You are going to learn forever. You're going to have engaging work to do forever. Not work that burns you, but work that gives you life. You are going to be more alive than you have ever been before. Crystal Abbey, another person who died, she died when she, when she flatlined on the table in the operating room. She had been sexually abused from the time she was three. Some of us are just been really hurt by sin. Some of us, has been, everybody's been hurt by sin, but some of us have been really, really, really hurt by sin. Our souls have been ravaged, and, and, and Crystal had come to Christ here. She had known Jesus before she died, but she always struggled with knowing who she really was, her identity in Christ, her identity as a daughter of God. She always felt dirty. She never felt acceptable, she said. And she said when she got to heaven and she woke up in heaven, the first person she met was herself. She said, I had never known who I was until I was in the presence of Jesus. Then all the clutter was gone, and I knew behind a shadow of a doubt that I was a daughter of the Most High God. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who I was and how I was formed and what I was supposed to do. And God gave her this glimpse of herself and of him so she could come back and change the way that she lives her life. All of these folks, every single one of them, all the ones that John recorded said this experience changed the way that they live here. And they will never, never forget what it was like. Why? Because they know they're going home. Do you know that? First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ, can I beg you to come to him like now? 
The time is short. All you need to do is say to him, Lord, I receive your forgiveness for my sins, your blood shed on the cross for me. Come in and make my heart your home. Lord, you are my God. I now submit my life to you. I'm done living my life my way. It's now your way. You see, you can say it in your own words. You can pray it wherever you are. And here's the thing. Jesus Christ will never turn you away. Never. Until it's too late. This book, by the way, has stories of hell. I won't get into them. We've done some of that in the past. But can I tell you they're real? If you know Jesus Christ, you're going home. If you don't, you're going to hell. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And look, some of you go, that's just too narrow for me. I didn't say it. He did. Take it up with him. He's just my Lord. All I'm telling you is what he said about himself. You talk to him about it. See, the the truth is so many of us get hung up on the narrow thing. The the miracle is that God even made a way. The truth is that the miracle is that God made a way by giving us his one and only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. That's the miracle. Listen, you are not home yet. And this changes the way that we live our lives. Key number four, you should live today not for the dot, but for the line. Now listen to me. Your life right here is a dot. It's like a speck. If you were to take a pen and touch it to a piece of paper, that's what your life is. It's like a speck here on earth. However, there's a line that connects it to eternity. And you are to live for the line, not for the dot. This is, this is how these people have been transformed because they start to live life differently as a result of what's coming for them. Listen to what Jesus said in the parable of the shrewd manager. He said, for the people of this word are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than with the people of light. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. We're getting to that again. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This is one of the common experiences that Don Piper has had, that these gals that we just talked about, they're all welcomed into eternal dwellings by these friends. Jesus said there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. This is Luke 16. So he called him in and he asked him, what is, it, what is this I hear about you? Give an account to your management because you cannot be manager any longer. Now, this is in Luke 16, and when he's saying that, he's saying, you're going to die. That's the correct interpretation of that. There's this manager, the guy's been wasting his possessions. He says, give an account to your manager because you cannot be any manager at all. It's like he's saying to the rich fool, your life is going to be commanded of you tonight. Now, God is telling this guy he's going to die. He can't be God's money manager anymore. How many of you are going to die? There will be a day that you will stop being God's money manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master is taking away my job, i.e. I'm going to die. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each of his master's debtors, and he asked him, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Just cut it in half. Then he asked the second one, how much do you owe? Uh, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. I told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Listen, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of light. I tell you, 
Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So when is it is gone and it will go away, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. People often get hung up on this parable because they think that Jesus is commending this guy's dishonesty. That's not what he's commending. He's not commending dishonesty. He's commending that the guy looks ahead and he's using what he's going to lose to gain what he cannot lose. Friends. Friendship. Look, if you're in Christ, you are a friend of Jesus. You are a friend of God. You've been reconciled with God. You're his friend, and he is the best friend that you will ever have. Can I tell you something? When you come into the body of Christ, you gain a whole boatload of friends. You see, and what happens is God asks us to use worldly wealth. He calls it unrighteous mammon to be used by him to welcome other people into the kingdom, to reach them with the gospel. You see, the main point of this parable is that he was using his earthly wealth so that Jesus could use it so friendships could be made in heaven. How many of you lived through the 90s? Anybody remember Ray Bolts? Like, nobody. Oh, okay. So he wrote a song called Thank You. One person. Okay, thank you. And in this song, it communicates this reality beautifully. The gist of it is a guy dies and he goes to heaven. There are people that come up to him and he says thank you, and he doesn't know why they're saying thank you, so they have to start explaining yourselves. And one says, I was in your Sunday school class, and you were the first person who ever told me that God loved me. And God used that, and that's why I'm here. Another one came up and said, you gave money to a missionary, and that missionary told me about Jesus. And God used that money, and that's why I'm here. And they kept coming, and the man looks and sees a long line of people as far as the eye can see waiting to thank him. And the man breaks down weeping and crying as he sees them one by one coming. And Jesus turns to him and says, child, look around you. Great is your reward. This is a great picture of exactly what Jesus is saying in the story of the shrewd manager. I brought to you last week just a mention of Schindler's List. If you remember that movie, Schindler was a war profiteer and a member of the Nazi party. He sees what's happening to the Jews, especially those that are working in his factory, and he starts bribing Nazi officials so that he can keep certain Jews out of the concentration camps, essentially buying them more time to live. And when the end of the world finally comes, all the people who gave bri- he gave bribes for come and, and could thank him. And if you see the entire film, it starts building to that final scene where people are thanking him for using this worldly resource to actually buy them out of slavery. And he's looking in their faces, and he is not filled with joy. He's filled with deep, deep remorse. He realizes as much as he did, he could have done more. He starts looking around at his possessions. He looks at his car, and he says, stupid car. Why didn't I sell that? Why didn't I use it for bribe money? I could have bought 10 more people. This pin is made of solid gold. That's two people, two lives, two souls for this ridiculous pin. What in the world was I thinking? And he's overcome. He falls to his knees. He's sobbing. I want you to listen to me. There's an astonishing opportunity that God has given every single one of us to use his money to win more souls to Christ. And in essence, build friendships that will last for eternity. The question is, will we trust him to move forward in that? 
By the way, another common experience that many people have who have died, just like Mary, is that they see their entire life flash before their eyes. We've talked about that. Listen to Romans 14, 11. It is surely written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, so each one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now listen, this sounds like it's the sweetest thing ever, but when people meet Jesus, he'll often say this question, what did you do with your life? What did you do with the life I gave you? And I'll ask him two questions. Did you love people the way that I loved you? And did you forgive people the way that I forgave you? At the root of that word forgive is the word give. You see, did you give like God gives? You are never more like God than when you are giving and forgiving and loving. Because at the heart of the gospel is a message of God's love and God's forgiveness. And that's what God wants us to live out here on planet Earth. For one day, every single one of us will meet him. And he will ask us that question. What did you do with the one and only life that I gave you? Did you love the way I loved? Did you forgive the way that I forgave Enter my joy. Now look, this is hard stuff we're talking about here, and especially when it comes to money. People get all uptight about their money, and I know I get uptight about mine. So we're going to talk about how we get started today. Are you still with me, by the way? Do I need to pray? Always. All right, we're going to pray right now because we're going to talk about tithing. Pray with me, please. In Jesus' name, I claim this time for him and for him apart. I thank you, Lord God, for your word, which is truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray now a hedge of protection over your people that we would not interpret anything I say as somehow ascribing to the law, but only, Lord, to liberty and freedom and joy in you, Jesus, for you are the one that sets the captives free. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you heard me talk last week about Tracy and I and our dreams together, we hope someday we'll be able to give away 50% of what God gives us to his work. And um, somebody came up to me and said this week, well, you're crazy, I could never do that. Well, I'm not saying that that's what you're supposed to do. All I'm saying is that you have a heart to listen to God and do what he calls you to do. Now, many are saying, well, how do I get started? I'm gonna tell you, it's called the tithe. And some are going, yep, I know that one. Other people are going, oh crap, we're talking about the tithe. (laughs) We are. How to get started, it's called the tithing principle, not the tithing law. Let me explain the difference between law and principle from Scripture for you. The law was given to us so that we would be convicted of our sins, that we would know we would need a Savior. The law can never save you. The law just lays you on your face before a holy God and says, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness for my sins. And God says, yep, you're right. I'm with you. Here's your Savior, Jesus. And he just gives you life and life eternal. because He loves you. And he's that good. But the law could never save you. So when we talk about law and preaching law, we're talking about preaching that you have to do something in order to be saved. You have to do something in order to be accepted. And that, my friends, is heresy. There's nothing you could ever do to be saved. You could never be good enough. It's not about being a good person. Please hear me in this. I hear people still say this. Oh, they were such a good person. Surely they're in heaven. Every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are sinners in need of a Savior, and there's only one who was ever perfect, and his name was Jesus Christ, and he was the perfect sacrifice for you and me. And he is our only hope. Can you say that with me? He is our only hope. 
So if someone were to preach that tithe is law, they would say this, as a Christian, you are commanded to tithe or it will affect your relationship with God. Now look, it will affect your freedom, but God's going to love and accept you all the same. That doesn't change. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Listen to this scripture from Malachi 3.10. And by the way, I would encourage you to get into Malachi more deeply because it says if you don't tithe, you're robbing God. How many people want to rob God? Anybody? Okay, so we're just going to talk about that. I'll, I'll, I'll cut you up. Bear with me here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessing than there will be enough room to store. Now, I don't know about you. The second part sounds awesome, and the first part sounds kind of scary. A tithe means a tenth. It's called the first fruits. Everything that God gives you belongs to him. Okay? But what God is saying throughout Scripture, and he says this over 30 verses on tithing and hundreds more on giving, he says the first 10% is wholly and exclusively dedicated to the Lord. And that would be the first 10% that's called the first fruits of everything you get. That's not like after the tax man touches them. People are like, what did he just say? <laughs> first of all, how many of you would be overjoyed to hear 10% was coming from the government? Anybody? Because they take a lot more than 10%. You understand what I'm saying, right? Okay, so according to Leviticus 27.30, a tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, is the Lord's, and it's holy. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor your Lord with the wealth, with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. These gardening metaphors may throw you off a bit, but remember, this is an agrarian culture they were living in. But these verses are essentially saying that you give a portion, specifically a tenth of whatever you make, a.k.a. your income or gifts, back to God. And the first fruits is just a biblical way of saying you should give first. Before you do anything else with God's money, you should give first. As I said, the word tithe is used in over 30 verses, and God's idea of tithing predates the law. So tithing is mentioned in Genesis. That predates the law. Now look, I understand that the tithe can be an uncomfortable thing to talk about. And I tell you, I've just been praying about me talking about it because I don't want you walking out of here with a should on your shoulders. I don't want you walking out of here under judgment or feeling that, because that's not that at all. We are just so grateful you're here. And the scripture says you can give whatever you want, under compulsion, joyfully. For each one should decide that. So I just want to set your hearts and minds at rest, but I also want the word of God to convict you. So God says, test me in this. Can I tell you something? God rarely says, test me in this. Thou shalt not put thy Lord, thy God, to the test, is what the scripture says. And this is one time where God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, the Lord Almighty says, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and throw out so much blushing you can't even imagine it. So God is basically saying, exercise faith in me by giving a tithe. Now, many New Covenant Christians struggle with this. The statistics say that the average Christian gives 2 to 3% of their income, okay? And they new covenant, they struggle with these new, under new covenant Christians as if somehow old covenant Jews are supposed to be more generous than new covenant Christians. By the way, if you follow the Old Testament tithe, it was 23% at a bare minimum. Why? Because there was multiple tithes. You tithe this on, you tithe on that, and then you gave free will offerings on top of the 23%. So it was tithes and offerings, and they are two very different things. 
So if you were an old covenant Jew, you were probably giving somewhere around 30% of God's money back to God. And we're struggling with a tenth. So God says, look, I want you to trust me in this. I want you to test me in this. Jesus upholds the tithe. People say there's no New Testament teaching on the tithe. That's not true. There is, and it's in Hebrews, and Jesus says this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. You tithe, but you have neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He's saying, look, you got this religious thing going. You're giving a tenth, but your hearts are all off. Now listen to what he says. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You see what he's doing? He's saying it's right for you to tithe. Now get your hearts in the right place. So I'm teaching you the tithing principle, not the tithing law. For for Paul says in 1 Corinthians, all things are legal for me. Say that. But not everything is beneficial. Say that. Listen, he says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So you're not under law, but you're under grace. Praise the Lord. And and I would say you're absolutely right. But when I bring up tithing to people, some people go, oh, now you're preaching legalism. I I got a question for you. How many of you, if I came to you and said, you shouldn't murder people, would accuse me of being legalistic? Uh, You shouldn't murder people. Oh, you're such a legalist. How about if I said this, um, it's really best not for you to covet your neighbor's wife. Oh, I can't believe he's preaching legalism. You wouldn't say that. You know why? Because you believe that not murdering people and not, not coveting other people's wife is good for you and good for the culture. It's good for the community, right? Do you know that tithing is good for you? Do you know that tithing is good for the community? Do you understand it's somewhat like if you're at a stage where you're struggling with what your mom is saying, eat your vegetables and exercise, it's good for you. You got to want to. Okay. Mom still loves you, but you're not experiencing the blessings of following what's in her heart for you. And this is what God is saying, I want to set you free. If if I'm going to set you free, you're going to be free indeed. So God is saying, look, I want you to understand this principle is for your best interest and for the bench of interest of my kingdom come, my will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. You don't gain acceptance through tithing, but you tithe because you have been accepted. You give generously out of the joy of being a son or daughter of the most high God. That's the truth about this. Now look, I want you to take a listen to this video testimony by Chris and Jill Priebus. Jesse and I had the honor of sitting with them this week, and they were able to sit down and talk to us about their journey in tithing, and I'd like for us to learn a little bit through this. Take a look. Hi, I'm Chris Priebus, and... Hi, I'm Jill Priebus. It's good to be here this morning. So I was in my early 30s that I had the opportunity to go over to Kyrgyzstan as part of a business uh, missions uh, trip. And it was really cool teaching Christian business principles to former Muslim communists. When we would go through their business plans, they were constantly saying the purpose of my business is to be able to not only pay my tithes, but increase my level of giving. We had a conversation during one of the dinners there and the translator is the pastor's wife asked me the question, Chris, do you tithe? And my response was, 
no, I don't. And her response was, that's unfortunate. So I get back from uh, Central Asia and I have this conversation with Jill. And so I started playing with the idea of, well, what would that look like if we were to start tithing? And immediately I started calculating up and I'm like, this is insane. There's no way we need a new car. That's a car payment. We just cannot start tithing. And then I put the thought out of my mind. Now the good news is God was already starting to plant a seed and starting to convict me. And so God started really changing my heart where I could see, you know, he, what his word says about tithing and that it wasn't about my money, that it was about his money. And this was our money, but we were to be giving back and that he would be providing for us. So in 2008, that's when the financial storm hit. I left my corporate job to start a business. My business was failing. It was not making any money. In December of that year, we discovered our daughter was in the midst of a horrendous drug addiction. So it's about a month later, we had to make the decision whether we we're gonna continue with rehab for our daughter or bring her home. And there was no way she could come home. She was too sick, we were too sick. We were not ready for her. So Jill and I had the conversation, if God wants Jill, our, our daughter, to go to rehab, then he's going to have to bring the money to the table because we ain't got it. We were still trying to be faithful to God the entire time. Even when my business was not working, we were still giving at the same level as before. So it was much more than a tithe, but we, we, we wanted to catch up what we had been remiss in doing for those previous years when we were not tithing. And I think God honored that. So in short order, my daughter was accepted in a rehab. The next day I started my job that I have now. We uh, put our house on the market in Maryland. It sold in four days at full price, non-contingent offer in the midst of the, the financial panic and crash that was going on at the time. Because it was a short sale, it took the bank so long to process that in 2009 that we lived in that house rent-free and mortgage-free for six months. And we needed every penny of that. And instead of being terrified, God was telling us, says, trust me in this. He gave us the ability to save the money because he knew what was coming. And he knows it, knew it to the penny and left 92 bucks so that we could go out and have a nice dinner and celebrate what God had done for us. And I would say for, you know, couples struggling, even individuals struggling, you know, what it took for us is getting to that place of surrendering. Surrendering our money. You know, we surrendered our daughter with her addiction. So surrendering our money, it's God's money. And then it's that place of trust, which can sometimes feel really hard. Um, and then trusting and then surrendering the outcomes and leaving them up to God. And that is so, so freeing. So it's our hope that you will find the same type of joy and freedom mm -hmm. that comes from not having money as the God yes. to, you know, to serve rather, and instead serving the living God with yes. joy. Yes.
Okay, so I want to talk to you quick why I believe in the tithe. And I guess you understand something. I want to know is this way. As someone who professes and believes in Jesus, my walk has been building over time. And I didn't always believe this, but now I absolutely believe this. And it's because I dug into the scripture and I understand more clearly what God is saying to us. So the tithe is a tenth. It's the first fruits. And um, 10% is, is going to go to the storehouse. And I want to explain this a little bit to you because there's controversy over this, what this really means. The storehouse, some people perceive as saying that 10% should go to the storehouse. That is the place where you regularly are spiritually fed. So where you are spiritually fed is your storehouse. And many people interpret that as saying that's where the, the 10%, the first fruits should go. Right to that storehouse. And then you're to give your free will offerings above that 10%. Okay? Um, other people say, no, it's just 10%. You're going to give that wherever you feel called by God. All are respectable interpretations. Another um, interpretation of the storehouse was that the storehouse was literally the place where food was fed to feed the poor. So you're to give that 10% to feed the poor. And can I tell you, it's with great excitement at Grace Fellowship Church in the Dream Center. When you give here, both is happening. People are being spiritually fed and poor people are being physically fed for the glory of God. So that's all. And if you were here when I went over the statistics last week, I'm still blown away. I'm still looking at the paper going, oh my gosh, Jesus, how did you do this? There are thousands of people being ministered to through the gym, through Adopt-A-Block, through the closet, through the harvest. I mean, it's just amazing what's happening. And we are just getting started. Can I tell you that? Some people are like, I don't know. Well, look, here's why I believe in the tithe. First of all, it's biblical. Go to the scripture. Read the scripture. You will find articles on the web that tell you why tithing is not biblical and why tithing is biblical. I went to the Gospel Coalition. It's a website that I respect. They have an article on there, why the tithe is not commanded of Christians. And they have another article on there say why it's absolutely scriptural to be commanded to tithe. Read them both. I believe it's biblical. I believe a tenth is enough to hurt. Now, I'm going to tell you that we're called to share in the sacrifices of Christ. And I don't know about you, but when you look at a tenth, tenth, one-tenth of all that you bring in, before it hits the taxes, you kind of swallow hard, like Jill Priebus did, and go, that's a car payment. For some of us, you go, that's a mortgage payment. And you cringe. That cringing is a good thing because it's enough to dethrone you and dethrone your money. You see, God wants you to understand something. He is your source of security and significance, not material wealth. And when he puts this in place, it's enough to start dethroning us and dethroning this whole idol of money in our lives. Look, a tenth is enough to make a difference. Last week I told you if the North American church would give a tenth to the world, we could solve world hunger. We could give everybody clean water. That's just the church of North America, folks. If we were to live on 80%, give 10% to the storehouse and 10% to the world, and it was administered well, which is often the problem, we would solve world hunger. It's enough to make a difference, and it's a great starting place to greater giving. The tithe is not meant to be a ceiling. It's meant to be a beginning. Now, some of you just swallowed a lot harder. You went, What? The tithe is meant to be a beginning, not a ceiling. It's a place where you start to give sacrificially to the work of God and his kingdom. And when you start experiencing more and more joy, which Tracy and I are, by the way, then you want to give more of God's money back to God's purposes. Then you're like Schindler, you're trying to find things to sell so you can give money to God's purposes. See, you get kind of giddy and excited about the kingdom of God because now you're vested. It dethrones 
the idolatry of our lives, and it makes us more sold out for Jesus than ever before. I want to take you into a little conversation about how this works. You see, the scripture says if you have a mentality of keeping, you are missing out on God's blessing. The root word of miserable is miser. Can you say that after me? The root word of miserable is miser. So if you're like this right now and you're thinking, I don't want to let go. Well, you can stay miserable. That's an option for all of us. But giving is the good life, folks. No question about it. The Lord says, test me in this and see if I do not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessing than you could ever ask or imagine. He's saying, I am the faithful one. Trust me. You see, but if you have a keeping mentality, there's no blessing coming to you in this way. But if you give, what happens is you experience greater joy. Greater joy comes to you, and that is your blessing, the presence of God in your life. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and preach a prosperity gospel to you and say the more you give, the more you're going to get financially. That would be heresy. But can I tell you that some people, some people, not all people, but some people who do get this way of giving, God does start increasing income. Why? So they can give more. So they can give more. So they can give more. Some people get less. I don't know. All I'm saying is this. The blessing is in the joy. The blessing is in the presence of the Lord. The blessing is being invested in the kingdom of heaven. So what's going to take to get from one posture to the other is called faith. And faith requires that you trust and you take risks. Now, look, I, I don't know if I told you in this series, but a few weeks ago, I got online and I changed our giving because Tracy and I give through the PushPay app. We, we just have it sucked out so we don't see it because if I have to manage it, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If I have to get on there and give regularly, uh, oh, I don't know if I can really do it this month. That's me. I know me enough to know that that's me. So I set it up as a reoccurring gift through the PushPay app, which is available to everybody, and it just gets sucked right out of my check. When my check hits, the tithe comes in, boom, just gets sucked right out. So I don't even, you know, I just see it on there, and that's it. It's gone. But what I'm saying is that we, we experience more and more joy now as a result of trusting God. But when I got on and changed our giving, I changed it, I made it more, I'm like this. <laughs> Inside, I'm like, no, oh, gosh. That's too much. And then I get to my wife and I say, well, I'm struggling. Should we do this? And he goes, Jeff, we're just going to waste it anyway. I go, dang it, she's right. <laughs> I tell you something, though. Within 10 minutes, I was jumping up and down. You know why? Because God was taking an idol out of my life. And he was saying to me, Jeff, you have so much more than you need. Freely, freely, you have received. Freely, freely, give. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. Can you sing that with me? Freely, freely, you have received. Freely, freely, give. Go in my name, and because you believe, others will know that I live. See, some of you don't believe that God can use this to change the world. You watch. You wait. You see. He can. He can take little ordinary me and little ordinary you, and he can build his kingdom through us.
by the grace of God for the glory of God. I believe him. I do. It requires that we trust him and exercise faith. And I want to have a little family conversation. So I'm going to pray to transition our time, and then we're going to close out here in just four or five minutes, okay? So here, here's my prayer. Father, help us to be a family now. Help us to think as a family and help us to trust you, for you have knit us together with cords that cannot be broken. We bring this all under the rule and reign of you and your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So look, we've talked about expanding a dream, planning a church, and transforming a region. This is the three-point kind of 2020 vision that Grace Fellowship Church has for this year, and I'm deeply excited about it. Look, a zeal church is well underway. We have a team of about 30 people up in York meeting regularly, getting ready to launch that in the fall of 2020, and God is good, folks. We are giving birth to a church. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And by the way, I want to say it again, if you live in that area and you're feeling any kind of prompting or inclination, get in touch with Alex or Channing Gilbert and, and come go to a meeting. Just go to a meeting and listen. Listen to what the Lord's saying to you. By the way, your giving is already supporting that. Okay, that's what Grace Fellowship Church is doing. We're supporting that financially, that whole thing. The reason why Alex and Shannon don't have to work a side job to plant a church is because your tithes and offerings are providing their salary while they're kind of tilling the soil. Praise the Lord for that. You can clap for that. Yeah, clap for that. Now, look, we have this expanded dream piece that I want to talk to you about. All of this is incredibly exciting. We want to see the harvest expand because, by the way, it's packed to the gills. If, you, if you've never experienced the harvest that can be closet at the gym, please go. On a day they're open, it's incredible. Harvest expansion and Christ-centered counseling center, approximately $300,000. Senior living center apartments, this is where we could house up to 60 seniors up there in the old giant who have nowhere to live. This is a crisis we sought the Lord in this, we had no idea. We just continued to follow him, and then he revealed to us it's a crisis. If you go right over there to Southern, um, sorry, uh, the one in Shrewsbury. Thank you. Thank you. Shrewsbury Courtyards. Thank you. I knew you'd get it. Um, Shrewsbury Courtyards, they have a waiting list of 280 people to get into that place. And every place in the area is like that. It's years, years to get in. And if you don't make $15,000, you are immediately rejected. I, I asked him, I said, what happens to the woman that just draws a $900 a month security check? He said, well, we can't accept her. I'm like, where'd she go? We don't know. That's not acceptable. If we're the church of Jesus Christ, that's not acceptable. So we want to trust God to put and house up to 60 seniors in the old giant space. Can you imagine for a person in their golden years and their heart is down, down, down? They may or may not love the Lord and we're able to come to them and say, look, we got a place for you to live. And we got a family who's going to love you. And you got a place where you can meaningfully engage? Praise the Lord, right? Can you imagine the joy when God does that? Now look, that's going to be $2.4 million. That's a lot of money. That's nothing for God. That's a lot of money for you and me. Vocational training center, approximately $100,000. If we're going to expand that dream, the total amount of God's money is approximately $2.8 million. Now we're going to get a little bit more difficult, so hang with me. First of all, I want you to know something. Senior leadership is completely unaware of what you give. I have no idea what anybody gives in this church except Tracy and I. You can take that to the bank. Huh, sorry, pardon the pun. Ben, Mark, all of us. We don't look at anybody's giving. There's only two people that do us. They're director of finance and associate director of operations. There's only two people who know what people give because they have to process things, okay? But apart from that, nobody knows anybody else's giving, and I don't know what you're giving. So if you're thinking, he's sitting out there going, oh, man, he's looking at me. 
No, that's God. That's not, not me. <laughs> so we have no idea. There's 722 traceable giving units at Grace. I want you to understand what that means. When a family, say a family of five, give one's check, that's one unit. Because we can track that through check or through push pay. Okay, if you give cash, we can't track you. We, don't, we can't provide you like a statement at the end of the year, okay? But if you give through push pay or you give a check, then we can track that. And one family, could be a family of like a mom and a dad and five kids, that's one unit. A single person who also gives through check or push pay is one unit here too, okay? Does that make sense? You with me? All right, so for example, if we had 722 couples, that would be 1,444 people. That's just an example that it would be like that, okay? So we have 722 giving units at Grace. Now, traceable giving in the last year was $1.6 million. Through your giving, we brought in $1.6 million. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, right? So 722 units, the average giving per unit is 22.16 per year. Now, some people give way more than that. Some people give less than that. But that's kind of how we look at things. Now, I want you to understand something. The average household income in Southern York County is $60,000. Now, some of you went, mm, no, we don't even make that. That's okay, because it just said the average. There's people that are far below that, and there's people that are far above that. If you go right down into northern Baltimore County, which some of our friends from northern Baltimore, it goes up to like $110,000, okay? So what we're doing is taking the lowest average of $60,000 based on demographic research. If each unit was to give a tithe of $60,000, that would be $6,000 per year. Can I tell you, 722 giving units times $6,000 would be $4,332,000 per year. If we as a body were willing to gather to tithe, it would be at the minimum that. That's the lowest that it would be. By the way, I talked to two people last week that had earned less than $50 that week, and they were so elated that they were willing and able to put $5 in our collection basket. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on. That, that's amazing. I just was floored when I heard that. I can't imagine making $50 in a week. Some people make that, and they gave five by the grace of God. So look, if we were to do this together, that possibly could be the minimum that we'd have. Now, let me show you something. Our potential giving of grace is $4,332,000 at the other side. Current level of giving is 1.6. The difference, or what we're calling the joy gap, is $2,732,000. Guess what it's going to cost to expand the dream? About that amount of money. Let me help you understand something. God can do this in and through us. There's no question about it. But it's going to take every one of us being willing to go to the Lord and search our souls and exercise faith. I can tell you it's been hard for me, but I can tell you this, it's been really, really worth it. And can I tell you this, as we see God grow us together as a generous body together, we are going to experience more joy than we've ever experienced before by the grace of God. Can I tell you something? We could have 60 seniors up there that have a whole new lease on life, and they're coming to know Jesus Christ, and guess what? The whole community is seeing that. Guess what? The whole region is seeing that. Can I tell you, I've shown this to people, and they said, I have never seen a church that's doing what this is, what's happening here. People are seeing this, and they say, what the heck is going on up there on that hill? And then we get to tell them, oh, 
Jesus is building his church. You want to come up and see? Come up and see. Come up and see how good he is. Come up and see how he's restoring people's lives and how much he loves you. But this requires that we all do our part. So some of us are saying, well, look, if the average is 60,000, I'll just give 6,000. I mean, make 120, but I'll just do the average. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because some people make 10,000. So if we trust the Lord together in this, I believe that he can provide all that we need in one year's time. Can you imagine what we could do in the following years? First of all, we could pay off our building. Second of all, we could do crazy stuff like a church in Texas did. They had a surplus of millions of dollars. You know what they decided to do? They knew that 65% of the bankruptcies in our culture come from medical debt. They drew a circle in a 25-mile radius around their church, and they paid off everybody's medical debt in a 25-mile radius. Is that not freaking cool? Can you imagine how much fun we could have? I mean, really, we could have so much fun. What are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? So this is what we want you to do. Prepare your hearts for a special offering on February 16th. We want this to be where we're driving a stake in the ground and saying this is the first fruits of a new season of generosity and grace. Maybe for you, you bring a one-time over and above gift. Maybe for you, this is the beginning of your new season of giving and you raise your regular giving. Maybe you do both. I don't know. All I'm asking you to go before the Lord and trust him to guide you in this, okay? Second, we're going to sign these treasure keys. If you have your bullets and take out those treasure keys, please. I want you to read those at home this week, and I want you to ask yourself, can I commit to these principles in my life? Nowhere on that handout does it say to give 10%. I just want you to know that. But these are principles from God's word that I want you to be praying over and asking God to guide you in. Just like we signed the Peacemakers Pledge and we drove a stake in the ground and we said, we are going to be a peacemaking church. We are not going to let the enemy divide us in this way. This is where we're driving a stake in the ground and saying, we, together, are going to be a generous church for the kingdom of God. And we're going to give sacrificially in light of what Jesus has done for us. Let's stand together in our way of closing. I'm going to pray us out today. We won't do a final worship song, so if you'd be kind enough to bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would never die but have eternal life with you. God, help us to give after your heart. Help us, Lord God, to take what you have said here today and, and let it grow deeply within our hearts, Lord Jesus, that you would guide us in paths of righteousness for your namesake, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done right here in this place, in this region, and around the world as it is in heaven in an unprecedented way. And every step of the way, we will say it's only by your grace and all for your glory. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ, the one who gave everything, and all God's people said, amen.